listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. If you have your Bibles, excuse me, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, We're talking about spiritual famine this morning, and uh, man, it's really hard to talk about this topic after Friday night. Over the week, how we just watched our church warn uh, serve and, and just be uh, excited and enthusiastic about Jesus. But we do know that um, spiritual famine is real. We know that it is across our land. And so today, if nothing else, we need it to be a warning for us to, to be vigilant and to be careful uh, that we do not fall into that. Um, but one of the things is about this is it's real. It's real not only here in the United States, it's here real all over the world, and it's been a problem all along. And uh, it seems like God does great things, God does wonderful things for us, and when things are going great, things are going wonderful, sometimes we tend to forget uh, where all the goodness came from, and it comes from Him. And so this morning, we're just going to kind of jump in. There's, there's a lot of ground to cover, and I want to make sure we... We get it all covered. So I'm not going to read all of Isaiah 1 at the beginning. Uh, I want to read 18 through 20. And I just want us to think about that. And we're going to back up and kind of hit the rest of the verses. But this is what it says. It's an invitation. And I love the fact that our God's arms are always out. And they're always open. And they're always uh, beckoning us, just bidding us to come to Him. And this is what He says to the, to the children of Israel. He said, Come now... And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It says, though they are red like crimson, crimson, they shall be as wool. And then he gives them this, this, this whole choice. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and uh, God, we're thankful, uh, Lord, that we belong to you, uh, that today our uh, Father is alive and well, and our Father is arms are open wide and saying, just come. And today I hope that in this place that our hearts are turned and tuned into you, that God, if you speak to us, uh, that God, we will let nothing keep us from the invitation just to come. God, if nothing else, just to come and settle in your presence, settle in your goodness. God, help us to be uh, a people that, Lord, are, are on fire or excited. God, that we're zealous. Lord, that we are just always just about you. Uh, as we said this weekend, God, let us be believers that just smile, smile, smile. God, how far would an enthusiastic believer get in this world today? God, help us to, to follow you. And God, help our hunger uh, to always be in the only one that can fill us, and that is in you and you alone. And God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Physical famine uh, is hard to believe. It's hard for us, especially in, in the, the country in the, that we live in, it's hard for us to even fathom of what that could look like um man so many people all over the world who are who are going through um what is a a literal famine a literal physical famine but how much more difficult is it to even imagine spiritual famine when we have a god that has according to Philippians, supplied all of our needs according to his riches and glory. A God who says that if you will take of this bread and eat of me, you will never go hungry, and says if you'll drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And God, through his son Jesus, has supplied everything that we need spiritually to be filled with him and to be filled to serve him. And so it's hard to imagine that, but our famine is real. And the thing about famine is not the 
absence, according to a definition, famine is not the absence of something, it's the shortage of it. And today we have settled in the church all across America and all across the world, we have settled in the actual lack of church. Right? We have settled for what we consider fast food access. Um, Instead of coming together uh, and really being together as a body and, and, and feeding on the Word of God, we settle for a quick podcast or a snippet of truth. We settled for uh, a watered-down church service. We settled to, to plug it in the radio. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if that is your substance, then you're lacking. Because here's the thing. Who would much rather sit down at a table with a home-cooked meal than to drive through a fast food restaurant, and get some greasy, cold cheeseburger. Right? I mean, if mama's cooking, I'm at the table. I'm not going to say, hey, mama, man, that, that roast, let, let's, let's just indulge for a second. Man, those pinto beans, you can tell where we're from. That fried chicken. I mean, at my house growing up, and even today, we make it a point to to cook at home together as a family and sit down and, and, and eat around a table and talk and spend time together. But I remember growing up, every night, man, my mom, she would cook. And here's the staples. It would be fried chicken one night with mashed potatoes and green beans. Y'all hungry yet? There'd be spaghetti one night. There would be hamburger steak, mashed potatoes. We had a lot of potatoes, can you tell? A lot of pinto beans, too. I said pinto beans. If you got some, we'll eat them afterwards. We would never have said, hey, thank you for cooking all that, but we're driving to Memphis at the time to McDonald's. Summer Avenue right off of I-240. That's the McDonald's at that time, the closest one. And choose that over Mama's cooking. Isn't that the same way we should treat the one who has given us everything? Is it not that the same way that when God has laid down such a wonderful meal through His Son Jesus and through the Word of God that we should pick this up and feast on it instead of settling for the fast food Christianity that is presented in our culture today? We should want to sit down at the table often. And so what's going on here? It's no different. God has been really, really amazing to these people at this time. God had brought the children of Israel, and you know the story, out of Egypt. He had given them the promised land. He had supplied everything that they needed, and He had been really, really good to them. And we're fixing to see in just a moment that when we choose the fast food of the world, over the sitting at the table of God, what that makes us begin to think and act like. And I just want to tell you this morning, sitting in this place, God has set the table. And God has invited you to come and pull up a chair and sit in. There is a place at His table for you. And I want you to notice the first part. Isaiah, here in around 740 B.C., talking to the children of Israel, and I just want you to listen as you think through this, kind of what that looks like today, because we are these same people. Verse 1 says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And here he comes. The wickedness of Judah is what mine says. Heaven, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider it. First thing I want you to see is the declaration from God. The sovereign one speaks. Notice what he says. Hear, O heavens, right? And give ear, O earth. You know what he's doing? He has summoned all of the universe 
to enter into his presence, into his courtroom to say. And he is saying, hey, I want you to pay attention. And I would just believe that when God summons all of heaven and all of earth into his presence, this is a big deal. And this announcement warrants the undivided attention of everyone and everything that has been called. And this is really what it is, just summing it up, making it real simple for today. God is screaming, pay attention. Stop everything else and pay attention. And just a side note on that, I believe sometimes we just need to drop everything. And we just need to pay attention. Maybe in here this morning you've come in to the room and, and you have already what's going to happen at 1 o'clock on your mind. You're already thinking about your week next week. You're already thinking about, hey, what do I have to do tonight? Or that phone call I have to answer, that email. All the things that keep us busy. And you maybe walk through those doors with them. And I want you to hear the Word of God say, stop. Lay it all down and just pay attention for just a little while. And so God has, has summoned them. And why is it so important that God calls all of the universe to attention? Because of the accusation. There's this indignant accusation. Here's what's going on. If you look into uh, the, the bottom part of 2, notice what he says. I have nourished and brought up children. I have nourished and brought up children. Can, can I just ask you this morning, and, and this is not a rhetorical question. Has God been good to anybody? Amen. I mean, all across this room, has God been good to you? Amen. I mean, you're here today and you're living in the greatest country in all the world, in all of history. You are sitting here clothed. Most everybody had breakfast this morning. Uh, some maybe didn't because you rushed in, but you had breakfast. Uh, you're going to eat lunch today. You're going to go home to a warm house with the lights on. You're going to have groceries in the pantry. Your kids are doing well. Things are going great. God has been really, really good to you. And to top it all off, he sent his son Jesus just to come and die for a bunch of people that most of the time are not even thankful for him. And he says, I've, I've nourished and brought up children. And they were absolutely showing the ultimate uh, turn the shoulder, shrug the shoulder to Jesus. And in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, I just want you to listen to this. This is talking about the children of Israel, but you can plug yourself in right here. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. You know what he's saying? He's going, you're really not that special. <laughs> there was nothing about you that drew me to you, except his love. He says, for you were the least of all people, but because the Lord loves you, he has nourished you, and he has brought you up. And this is the comparison. This is heavy, y'all. I mean, I don't know what the, how you would say it today, but I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner. God is literally comparing the children of Israel to an ox. I don't know about you, but, I mean, if your parents were walking there today and go, man, you know what, you're just like a donkey. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, that you're running around and he honking or whatever they do all over the place. And you just, what if you were compared to a donkey today? Notice what he says. He says, the ox actually is better than you because the ox knows its owner. And so I, I was interested in this. This is the joy of getting to do what we get to do. I was like, man, what does he mean by that? So I just looked up what an ox was like. You can Google this. I, I'm really not that smart. You can Google it, and I, I, I'd simply put in, what did an ox mean in biblical times? Don't use Wikipedia, there's better stuff than that. But this is what it came up with, just over and over. The ox was known to be submissive to authority. 
the, obak, the, obak, the ox obeyed commands. And this was interesting. An ox was affectionate toward one another. Now, let's just bring that down to here today. We do not like to be submissive to authority. We really don't like to obey commands. And we are really not affectionate toward one another. Right? But he, he goes on, though. He says, well, you know, the donkey, the, the, donkey, the donkey, I can't even talk today. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. So the donkey, when you look it up, it says the donkey was known to be reliable and sure-footed. And these two animals are seen throughout all of Scripture in a, in a big way because they were useful and they were loyal. And God says, my people, at the bottom of that, do not even consider. My people don't even understand. The ox and the donkey care more about their owners than they do, than you do for me. God's saying, you ignore me. You don't even consider me. I have brought you up. I have nourished you. I did it because I loved you, and you don't even pay attention. And I want us to understand this morning that not much has changed. We still overlook our Savior. We, we still don't many times consider Him. And we often give our allegiance to everyone and everything, so God is normally treated with our leftovers We usually say, God, I got to do A, B, and C. I have a busy week. I'm going to carve out an hour for you Sunday. Or God, I'm going to carve out maybe a couple hours this week for you. And here's the thing. You don't even have the strength to carve out the time if he didn't give it to you. And yet, so often, we don't even consider... Him And this is the thing. He is the reason we are here today. He's the reason that, that we have life and have it more abundantly. He's the reason that our sins have been forgiven. He is the reason that today my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He is the reason that one day I will get to see Jesus face to face. And I just have to stand here and tell you that there are many days that I don't consider and that's when we're all across this room if we don't treat him that way. John Piper says the key to Christian living is a thirst and a hunger for God. And one of the main reasons people do not understand or experience the sovereignty of grace and the way it works through the awakening of sovereign joy is that their hunger and thirst for God is so small. When is the last time you were anticipating and excited to partake of the bread of the Word of God. Where it is the reason you wake up. Where it's the thing that you think about when you go to bed at night. That your life is centered around us. When is the last time that was the case? Because we, we do it for everything else. One of our places that we love to go and have been going my entire life is Destin, Florida. I just love Destin. I love the Gulf. I love Destin. And some of you travel to Destin, and just I can see a little bit, but just to raise the heads, how many have ever eaten at Elmo's? Can I get a whoop whoop? Yeah, there you go. I see a few hands. Elmo's is delicious. It's great. And when we go, it's one of the things we're like, man, you know what? Monday night, we're going to Elmo's. It's like, man, I can't wait to go to Elmo's. They got all-you-can-eat shrimp and steak. And I mean, what crazy, indulgent American wouldn't love Elmo's? You can eat all the crab, steak, and shrimp you want. When's the last time I was so desperate that I was anticipating my Tuesday morning quiet time with the Lord? That I was talking about it to the people around me. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm studying the book of John, and I can't wait to get in chapter 4. And I want to talk about the woman at the well... We don't do that too often. And yet here he is. I have nourished and I have brought you up. And when our hunger for God is small, then it will lead to spiritual famine. And remember what I said just a minute ago. A famine is not the absence of something. 
It is the shortage of it. There is a, 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 an abundance of bread in this book right here. There's an abundance of living water in this book right here. There is never not an abundance, but there is a shortage of an appetite for it. So after the declaration, you see the lamentation of God. Right here, you will hear the hurt and the heart for God. Notice their desperate condition. Verse 4 says, Allah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. A nation that was called to be holy is now starving spiritually. They have chosen to feed on the poisonous food of the word, world instead of eating from the table of the Lord. They were choosing to worship pagans. They were children to, uh, excited and, and looking forward to, to idolatry and all those things. And they were feeding on the things of the world instead of focusing on spending time with the Lord. And their condition is heartbreaking. Can you imagine hearing the voice of God, the heart of God, as he said, These are my people. These are the people that I brought up, and these are the people that I have nourished. And they are laden, they are loaded, they are filled with sin. They're corrupt, they're a brood of evildoers, as God is having to explain this. Can you not just kind of hear his heart? He says, they have become completely unresponsive to who I am. Literally means they were weighed down by so much sin that they were unresponsive to Jesus. And Psalms 38.4 says it very well. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Their condition continued to worsen because he says they were consumed with wickedness. You were laden with iniquity. They, were, they continued to ignore the dreadful problem. And instead of cleansing themselves... They simply tried to camouflage it. We do it every Sunday, right? How many times have you walked in this church and your, your life was falling apart? You were barely up this morning. You were hanging on by a thread. You walk in the door and somebody says, Hey, how's it going? And you go, Man, it's great. I want to go, You're a liar. And there's an altar down here that we need to go to right now. It's like, is everything good, man? It couldn't be any better. It's like, no, it's not. You're like, how do you know that? Because you had it on Facebook last night. <laughs> I mean, we just wash it all out right there. But we come in and we try to camouflage it. And I just think if we really want to see the world come to Christ, is God's people need to stop camouflaging their problems and begin to just go to Jesus together in prayer and let the world see that we are broken and we are a mess. And outside of the grace of God, we would be in the same shape as them. But the only reason we have hope is because of Jesus. But instead of admitting that they were wrong, they were just trying to camouflage it. It really wasn't a big deal. Because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Isaiah says it later. And then they had forsaken the Lord. Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. I don't think we fear God anymore. I believe in the country that we live in and even in the world that there's not a reverence and a fear of God. We have this idea that God is some grandpa hanging out on a cloud, you know, just, you know, filling our, our to-do list. And I think we've lost the awe that God is holy and just. And he has every right to strike every one of us down today. We've lost that. And as I was studying this, I was thinking, man, spiritual famine, what's the most, what's the, the, the most common cause for physical famine? And it's warfare. 
In addition to destroying crops and food supplies, warfare disrupts the distribution of food. Think about this, through strategic seizes and blockades, you're trying to get food through to a place and they, they have blockades up. And I was just thinking about that. And what is the number one way that we find ourselves in spiritual famine is because we're in war with the enemy. And the enemy's throwing up every kind of blockade, everything he can to keep us from the Lord. To keep us from God. And spiritually, we are at war. Spiritually, we're fighting a battle every day, and the enemy wants to destroy any opportunity for us to get a hold to the, the living water and the food that God has given to us. And he tries everything he can, and what's, what's so sad is we have given over to it. And then he goes into the devastating evidence. Notice verse 5. It says, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. He said, the whole head is sick. I mean, think of these words. This is harsh. The whole uh, heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed up or bound up or soon with ointment. This is God's diagnosis of his own people. He says, you're dying. You're dying of starvation. You're dying of disease. You're dying of wounds, and you will not even allow yourself to be cleansed and your wounds be bound up. God has done everything at this point for his people. You know really what he's doing? He's trying to argue sense into their head. And I know today we're not hard-headed like they were back then. We don't have that problem. You know, when God speaks, we're like, yes, Lord, we're in. He's trying to get them to see the struggle and how terrible things are. Because after Assyria invaded, they were destroyed almost as a nation. And he uses their body as kind of a metaphor as to really what the country looked like. He says, as bad as you are, you are still defecting. As bad as you are, as wounded as you are, as messed up as you are, you're still running away from me. Your cities are burned. He says, you're, you're from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, it's all messed up. And then he turns literal. Look in verse 7. He goes from kind of the metaphor of the body into where they were literally. He said, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard as a hut in a garden of cucumbers. It's like, what are you saying, Lord? I mean, I've never seen a booth in a garden of cucumbers. But in those days, as the, as the fruit of the vine began to ripen, they would build little booths inside the fields as they were ripening to keep animals and people from destroying their crops. And once, the har- once they would harvest the crop, the little booths that they had were just left. And they were desolate because there was nothing in the field and the booth would begin to crumble. And he's saying, that's exactly what my people look like. I guess in our terms, is, is it being in such a big farming community, uh, you go by some of these fields and you see these really old tractors or combines sitting off in the fields that have been there for years. They're all rusted and they're broken down. They're, they're just sitting out there because they never were moved and they just plant and harvest around them. That's what God's saying they look like. You're just simply a booth in a garden. You're desolate and you're empty. And this is a, a devastating scene. And again, as, as we are walking through this, think this is God's people. This is not pagans. This is not the lost world. This is God's people. The people that he, he took and showed his love to. The people that were least of all the world. This was his people that he is talking about. And it is a devastating scene because they're sick, they're broken, they're infected, they are diseased, their towns are destroyed, their homes are destroyed, their homes are abandoned. This is God's people and this is what God says about his people. This is who you are. 
And I know sometimes it's really easy to read the Old Testament and go, yeah, but that's, you know, those crazy Jewish people. They, they were messed up anyway. So the other day I went and sat down with Pastor Ken, and I was like, Pastor Ken, I, I just want to talk with you for a second. And, and how, how does this scene apply to America today? If God has called me to deliver the message today, along this line, to our people, to the Church of America, what would it be? And he and I sit down, and we came up with five things. I just want to go through them really quick. I believe one of the things God would say, and we agreed on this, is why we are in a spiritual famine in our country, is attendance. According to Pew Research, in 2020, 47, I want you to listen to this statistic. 47% of adults either belong to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. That's 47% of adults in America. It wasn't that 47% belonged to a Christian church. This is a synagogue and or a mosque. Out of that 47, think of this. 22% said they attend at least once per week. So in America, 22% say they attend a church, a synagogue, or a mosque at least once a week. 9% almost every week. 11% seldom. 31% never. And then 2% said they didn't even have an opinion. 22% says I go to church once a week. Are we as Christians called to be a people of presence? Are we called, the Bible says, to come together as a corporate body, forsaking not the assembly of ourselves, that we come together and we worship God, we thank the Lord for Jesus, and we come together in the bond of the Holy Spirit to, to worship and to serve? Am I right? Y'all wake up. And yet 22% only do it once a week. 31% never. You want to know why this country is in the shape it's in? And you want to know why this country, as people are saying, is falling apart at the seams? And you want to know why our country now, for you who maybe keep up with it, is not one of the greatest senders of missionaries over the world, but we're one of the greatest countries that are being sent to? Think about it. America, the great missionary country that took modern missions overseas, is now receiving missionaries here because we need to be evangelized. It's because there is a lack of attendance in God's house. It's not important anymore. We can watch it on live stream. We can listen to a podcast. We can record it and watch it later. We need family time around the table, so we just will take our time and we'll worship God that way. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. Amen. The Bible tells us that we are to come together, forsaking not the assembly of ourselves. And let me help you on this. You say, well, uh, what if I, you know, I've had people go, well, our church don't have church on Sunday nights. Listen, if your church has church on Sunday nights, you should be at your church on Sunday nights. Amen. If we have service here on Wednesday nights, you know where you should be? You should be on Wednesday nights. You know why? Because you signed a church covenant saying you would support and attend the services that are at this church. Amen. I'm glad he's amen to me because everybody else is like, oh, me. <laughs> where is our hunger to be together under the worship and the presence of God under the word and the teaching of God, we have pushed it and literally we just give God what is left over. We compartmentalize Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 12 o'clock. We're giving it to you, Lord. And God says, hey, that is not... Is that all he's worth? 
It's quiet. Next thing is application. There is a huge problem of biblical illiteracy in America. Here's the thing, and I got some more statistics. You know, those saying this statistics don't lie. Just Wikipedia. People pay lip service to the importance of the Bible, but by and large, they do not read it or know it. And I would say that you have to agree to that. It's, we, it's amazing. It's still, I'm going to go out on limb. It's still the number one bestseller, but I think it's probably the number one less read. We'll buy it and put them all over our house. But how often are they picked up and read? And, and there's, a, there's a problem because, th- listen, 82% of Americans think God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. 82%. You know why? Because somebody stood up in a pulpit and said, well, God helps those who help themselves, and people just like, well, that sounds good. That's got to be in the Bible. Or some preacher who hadn't read it himself told you it was in the Bible. It's not. Here's another one. 12% think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) Just telling you. 50% of graduating high school students think Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. I've heard that before. Well, wasn't they married? No, they were not even people. <laughs> of course, these days, I guess they could get married. I don't know. <laughs> and then you have those who focus strictly on knowledge, and they're so caught up in the knowledge of God that they don't apply it to their lives in which they can be filled with knowledge and be dead. Because knowledge without application is dead orthodoxy. It has to be a balance. And at best, the people filled with knowledge are 21st century Pharisees. Because they stand on the corner and tout how much they know and they never serve the Lord or share the gospel. Absolute. There is an attack on absolute truth. It's running rampant in the church today. We're living in the center, really, of what the devil said in the garden. Did God say? And it's just enough to make you question absolute truth. We don't have many people anymore standing like the apostles who in Acts said, hey, we're going to obey God rather than man. And that we're willing to to die for the cause of Christ because we believe everything he said is absolute truth. And we cannot afford not to stand on the absolutes of Scripture. If God says that marriage is between a man and a woman, we better stand on that truth until we leave here. If God says that, that life begins in the womb, we better stand on that truth. There are truths in Scripture and there are absolutes. If he says he is the only way to the Father, you best believe he's the only way to the Father. It doesn't matter what anybody else or denomination says. So we have to stand. And then there's the idea of apathy. Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea. For you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. God says you don't even realize you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. And as we begin to starve ourselves and go into this famine, we become apathetic toward who Jesus is. Think about this right here. And this really hit me as I was, I was thinking about this. For the most part, mainline churches in modern America are actually aiming for the middle ground. Now stay with me. This is where most people land. They want enough religion to be respectable, but not so much that they are viewed as zealots. I want it, basically, I want enough Jesus to get to heaven, but I don't want to be called a Jesus freak here on earth. Parents tell their children, you shouldn't be atheists, but at the same time, they tell them not to take this religious thing so far. Man, I've talked to a lot of parents. I've been in trouble quite a few times. 
when their student comes up to me and is like, man, I, I've been studying the Bible, I've been reading Scripture, man, I want to I go all in for Christ, and man, I want to go be a missionary overseas. What do you think I should do, Matthew? And I'm like, well, I mean, go. <laughs> go talk to your parents first. You know, Don't go get a plane ticket yet. Think through it and do what's right. But follow God. And I've had people corner me up. I'm like, man, why'd you tell my daughter? I had one lady specific. Why'd you tell my daughter it was okay for her to, to do this? I said, whoa, hold on a second. I just told her to follow Jesus. She needs to work that out with you guys. And basically it come down to this mom wanting her daughter to be a lukewarm Christian, but not all in. So it sets up apathy. And then our attitude, the last thing is our attitudes are out of sync of his worthiness. The core problem with Christians is our response to who Jesus really is. There's this enormous disparity between the glory of God and the wonder of God and then our kind of whatever attitude. Do we realize that every time we come into this place and we begin to pray and sing that we're asking the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be in our presence and sometimes we just shrug our shoulders at Jesus? Whatever. And we've lost it in our attitudes toward Him. It's like He's just one of the guys. I remember sitting in seminary, and I remember a, a guy I was sitting next to, and we were in a class with, with one of my professors, and we were talking about Jesus and just how amazing Jesus was. And this guy said, oh, man, I can't wait to meet that dude. And, man, that professor, when he got through with him, I got under the table. And he told him, he said, I dare you. I dare you. To bring Jesus down to dude status. But is that not our attitude? Oh, he's just one of the guys. No, he's not. He's the king of kings. He's the only one that was worthy to take on your sin. And pay the penalty for you to live. He is way more. The Bible says that even at his name, demons tremble. You ever just walk around going, Jesus? I was thinking, like, if they're, if they're around, like, they're shaking. I'll get that later. I'm weird, I know. But it's like, yeah, Jesus. It's like, ooh, you know. But our attitudes are so out of sync with his worthiness. And then I have to hurry up, I know. Uh, the denunciation from God, if you look at 10 through 15... Here's what God says, and this is where it gets really, really heavy. As you see the emptiness of religion. 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And they were not married, by the way. Uh, to what purpose is the, the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fat fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls uh, or lambs or of goats. When you come... To appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. I, I'm just, I'm going to bring this really just down to 2022. And here's the question he asked. Why are you here? This morning, why are you in this room? That's what he's saying. When you come to appear before me, who has required you? To what purpose is your sacrifices to me? And let that sink in this morning. Why are you here? Can I tell you something? If you really take time and study out the language here, this is really what it's saying. Is God 
is not impressed with our Sunday morning rituals. This morning, when we walked in the door and started playing the first song, God didn't say, oh, oh, listen, Warren started worship today. See, what God wants before he receives worship is he wants your life during the week to be right. He wants you to hunger for him during the week. And he wants you to, to seek righteousness and seek justice during the week. And what he told them is he says, I've had enough. That's what he says. He says, I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and goats. These people were coming and they were still offering sacrifice to the Lord. They were still taking the blood of the bulls and the goats and they were offering it to God because this is what they were told to do. And God said, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I don't want any more. Because what God wants is God wants our lives to be in line with Him in what His Word says. Not for an hour on Sundays, but every day, all the time. Because here's the thing, just please hear me, and, and you can be mad at me at the same time. God can exist without us being here today. If we're not here, He's still going to be God. If we don't sing today, if we don't endure this message, if we don't write a check and put in that box back there, God is still going to be God. And if God is that big, if God is that important, if God is that worthy, shouldn't we come in with the heart toward God instead of just a leftover to Him? He says, I'm just tired of it. This is God speaking sacrifices and worships, we don't even have that right because they were intended to show people the proper way to approach God. They were taught how to approach Him. It was to show their gratitude and dependence. When they would bring that sacrifice to the Lord, it was God's way of teaching them, this is how you approach me. And yet they were just going through the motions and he said, even your blood of your sacrifice really means nothing to me. Why do we worship? It's our way of approaching a holy God. Why do we worship? Because God offered his son Jesus up to die for our sins and we want to worship him and praise him and adore him in return. Isaiah was saying, live right and you can worship right. We live like the world during the week and then we show up on Sunday mornings with half-hearted, shallow worship and we think that God is impressed? We really think that God's like, man, that dude is killing it. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. I don't know about y'all, but that, that hurts. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear because your hands are full of blood. Isaiah 59, 2. God's hands are not so short that He can't hear you and His ears not so heavy that He cannot hear you, but your sin has separated you and your God. If you have sin in your life, it's not that God doesn't forgive you. It's not that God doesn't want to forgive you. But if we have sin in our lives and we come in here and we throw our hands up to God and we offer Him a song of praise, He's just like, I, I can't bear it. I can't bear it because you're not right with me. I can't bear it because you have unforgiveness in your heart toward your brother. I can't bear it because you have bitterness toward a sister. I can't bear it because your life is filled with gossip. You could come in here and worship and praise, but I'm going to tell you, if you hit these hallways and start talking about people, it means nothing. 
to God. That's why we have to be in constant prayer before Him because we are flawed. We do mess up and we have to continually say, God, forgive us for A, forgive us for this, forgive us for this. And what He's wanting them to see is your heart, your heart has to be in it. And so as our heart's in it this morning... Because he said, the people draw near with me and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And what Isaiah is saying is that he just wants your priorities to be right. And then you hear this, I am weary, I will hide my eyes from you, and I will not listen. But this is what I love, and this is the good news. And I have like three minutes to give it to you, so just... Stay with me, and I'm fixing to give you the good news. Is God did not pronounce the sentence. He didn't say, hey, you know what? You are guilty, and I'm going to kick you out of the land, and you're never going to be called my children anymore. He gave them a choice. He said, if you will obey me, you will eat of the good of the land, and if you rebel, then you will be destroyed. God has given them a choice to come. The evidence was clear. The verdict, they're guilty. The divine judge, though, he offered them an opportunity for a new start. Notice what he says in 18. Come now. That's the invitation. God's arms open wide. Let us reason together. Come now. Let us reason together. Come to me. Let us reason together. And this is what he says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as well. He's going, hey, if you'll just come to me, if you'll repent, I will cleanse you. Not only will I cleanse you, he says, I will, I will restore you, I will rebuild you, I will do all of these amazing things for you. So, God is saying, come. I believe today... For the church of America, and maybe even for us as individuals, God is saying, come. Today is the day. Come now. He didn't say, come later. He didn't say, come next week. He said, come now. Let us reason together. And I believe if God was standing here, He would tell you, come now, please. Let us reason together. And let's just bring it to, to, to today is we're guilty. Everybody in this room is guilty of sin. Injustice demands. And I want you to think about this. What if, what if you had to get up this morning... And you were called into God's courtroom. And you had to give a defense for yourself. Because God is just and it demands that he be just. But you know what God did? God said, hey justice, I want you to go down. I want you to go down to this mountain. And I want you to wait. And so justice goes to a mountain. And 700 years after this right here, a little over 700, Jesus showed up one day carrying a cross. Jesus showed up carrying a cross and justice demand was met. It was met through a man named Jesus. We were guilty... Our sentence should be that we are cast into hell. But because of Jesus today, we can be saved. And when I read that part about I have nourished and brought up children, I think about salvation. I think about, God, I didn't have anything to offer you. I had nothing that was worthy of you looking at me and going, man, I want him to be my child. It was because of your love 
for me. God has nourished. God has saved me. God has brought me up. He has set me in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And God has given me the life that he has planned for me. And the least I can do is consider him. And go, here I am, Lord. And I believe today, and I'll just say this as I close. We have an opportunity at Warren Community Church to do something amazing. We saw a glimpse this weekend of what this church is really capable of. When God's people come together in God's presence, under God's power, partaking of God's food, God will do amazing things. And so today, let's not walk out of here into the world of all the distractions. Let's focus on Him. Come now, let us reason together. Let's, let's come. And you, know, you're, and you may be sitting in here and you're like, well, I'm good with the Lord. Maybe you are. I hope you are. But I have people sometimes when we talk about the, the America, we talk about the United States, and we're talking about all the trouble it's in. It's funny when the United States is, is, is killing it and it's the greatest place to live, it's our country. But when it's broken down and we need to repent, it's, it's, it's just America. Can I tell you today that we are responsible as a church to repent for the United States of America? Because we're the, we're, we're the believers. We're the ones that God has said, Hey, come now, let us reason together. America is filled with sin. And you are America. Personally, you may be good with God, but corporately, we're in trouble. And the least we could do is go, God, please, we just want to repent, and we want you to use us, because it, I, I, I skipped one little part, and I'm going to close with this. It says, had it not been a remnant, had it not been a small group of people, then Assyria would have completely obliterated that nation. But because there was a few, and what if sitting in this room this morning in, in Somerville, Tennessee, that we're the few? We're the few that God could use to spark a great revival in this country. We're the few that God could use to stand and change policy. We're the few that God could use to stand for those who can't stand for themselves. We're the few that God really wants to use to send missionaries all over the world. What if we're the few? What if, what if you're the few? Come now, let us reason together. And as John plays, I want you to think about that. What has God done for you today? Has God nourished you? Has God brought you up? Has God called you his child? And if he has, we have to wrestle the question, then what will I do for him? What will I do? Father, we come to you today and... God, I just pray that all across this room, that your people, God, will see that we need to bow before you. God, we need to have the right attitude that who, of who you are. And God, I love this place, and I think it's one of the most amazing places on the face of the earth. And I've been so encouraged over the last few days, even more, just to see you at work through your people and to see what your people really are capable of. So God, if we, as a body of believers, just come together and unite under the umbrella of, of your amazing grace and God, your worthiness, what can this church really do for the kingdom? So God, I just pray that today we'll see that where we, we can accomplish amazing things. God, maybe other people are in a famine. Let us be the ones that feed them. God, maybe they're starving. Let us be the one that takes the food to them. God, use this place. Use these people. Use all of us. 
Lord, for your glory. So as Pastor Ken comes, I just want you this morning, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to stay seated this morning. I want him to come, and I just want heads bowed, eyes closed all across the room. And if you need to come this morning and pray, I ask you to come. As the Lord has sent out his invitation, come now, let us reason together. If you need to come and you need to kneel at this altar, man, I pray you will. If you need to come repent, maybe God has revealed something in your heart, in your life that you need to repent of, I ask you to come. Maybe God's just asking you to come and pray for our country. Maybe God's asking you to come and grab a brother or sister and just begin to seek God on God. How can you best use Warren Community Church and what can I do to be part of that? I don't know what the need may be. But all across this room today, I invite you to come. Whether it be on the sides, whether it be in the front, whether it be in your chair. If you're in here today and you have never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, He's saying, come now. Let us reason together. Jesus died for you. And God wants to forgive you today. If that's you, you come. Brother Ken will be here, I'll be here. We want to pray with you. But as John sings today, church, heads bowed, eyes closed, I invite you to come. And let's be the church that God uses all across this world. And it can start right here with us. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. 